Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Economics for Rebels, the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. Not too long ago, it was an act of rebellion to pursue economics as if nature mattered. This rebellion continues. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the economics of just and sustainable transformations. Conversations with and for those who are ready to act on rapid and radical change for people and planet. Welcome to our podcast. I am your host, Alexandra Kovesh, and you are listening to the third episode of the Economics for Rebels podcast. In the previous episodes, we discussed why it is worth talking about economic and social change that leads to a more sustainable world, and why mainstream economics has become much more of a hindrance to our world. The first thoughts that we now consider the basics of ecological economics were published in the 70s. Over 50 years have passed and the concerns that were raised back then are concerns that we all have today, facing ecological and social limits to growth. Today's guest is Inge Röpke, and we will talk about what has happened in the last half a century in ecological economics. What are its basic premises and how did the field develop over time? Inge is an ecological economist, a professor at Aalborg University in Copenhagen, Denmark. She has published on several topics within the field, but most relevant for today's episode are two articles from 2004 and 2005, where she explores the early history of the field. Welcome, Inge. Thank you very much for inviting me. So I promised we will talk about the basic ideas of ecological economics, as well as the history of the field. What do you consider the basic ideas of ecological economics? Well, I think uh, in a modern formulation, I would say that uh, it's about thinking about humans as a species, uh, similar to other animals. So um, what you can say is most basic for all species is really how to keep alive. And uh, there we rely on flows of energy and matter from the environment. Uh, that goes into the metabolism, both of the individual and society, uh, and then send out uh, waste, energy, and, and matter. So it's basically about uh, social metabolism. And I think that uh, maybe the most core idea of ecological economics is to focus on energy. Uh, and when we think in terms of energy, Uh, we talk about uh, three phases of the human history. You can say first we were hunter-gatherers relying only on biomass. Uh, and then in the pre-industrial agriculture, uh, we added some more energy sources. We had uh, wind energy and water uh, energy, for instance, and draft animals. And then in the third phase, uh, we got the fossil fuels, fuels added to these uh, energy sources. Uh, and here, I think it's a core idea of ecological economics that when we had the industrial revolution, you should really think about this as a thermal industrial revolution. So um, usually when you hear about the industrial revolution, um, you are told that it's really about new technologies. Uh, and a lot of ingenious uh, innovations and so on. And of course it is, but many of these innovations, they 
cannot work at all without fossil fuels. So basically, it's the combination of these technologies and, uh, in a, and fossil energy that makes for uh, this third phase uh, of, of um, human energy history. So I think the, the key point of ecological economics is really to say that uh, societies, social relations and so on, they have always biophysical aspects. So we need to uh, start, when we study economics, we really need to explore the energy and material flows uh, and the embeddedness of, of human society uh, in the environment. This, uh, I would say, is, is the core idea. And then later uh, we can talk about uh, more of the ideas. So when, when did this um, importance of uh, focusing on material flows and on the embeddedness of human society in the environment, when did these ideas first emerge? Well, I think that probably you can draw lines centuries back, but uh, I think I will start with uh, the mid 19th century, because this is where we got the theories about thermodynamics. Uh, and these theories, they focus on energy. Uh, so the centrality of energy for human societies and the idea that you can actually study economics also in energy terms and not just in various other economic categories and in money terms and so on. I think this at least dates back to um, the understanding of thermodynamics. And, uh, and this basic idea related to energy, it was uh, repeated several times uh, over the following decades uh, by various authors uh, who suggested that we should try to study human societies in terms of energy, but they had very little success. Um, but you can read about uh, many of these more or less forgotten uh, authors in uh, Martinez Allier's book. He has written a book called Ecological Economics, Energy Environment and, and Society, published in 87, 1987. Uh, so you can read about it there. So th some of the ideas, they are really very old, but they didn't get much following. Why do you think these ideas were not successful at the time? Well, I think maybe the most important reason is that they, they didn't respond to the main concerns of the time. Uh, you can say that uh, when you look at the history of ideas, you should always take an interest in the interplay between the intellectual development of ideas and the prevailing social conditions. So if the social conditions are not there, uh, you will not get a breakthrough. Um, but you can say uh, when the social conditions are there, then you can get a breakthrough. For instance, if you take uh, the ideas of Keynes, uh, they had a breakthrough in the 1930s because of the severe unemployment uh, at the time. So, so I think that is part of the reason but I think that you can also point to other issues. Uh, for instance, uh, in the late 19th century, uh, the various scientific disciplines, they tended to split, divide up into various specializations and they became much more formalized and, and separated. 
So before that, you can say many scientists, they were much more all around and, and didn't identify with narrow fields. But uh, with, with the establishment of disciplines, uh, then the policing of the boundaries became much more important. Um, and this means that some of the social scientists, they defended their fields against the intrusion of natural science. They didn't really want natural scientists to take over uh, social science. So this idea of focusing of, of energy um, was not something they wanted to take in at the time. We always say that ecological economics is, is very proud of, of being um, a field where many, many different disciplines meet and, um, and develop their ideas uh, together. And you're saying that, um, that this was a difficult process for, for people to accept that. When do you think um, this kind of mentality changed? Well, uh, yeah, I think that um, the most important is really to, to think in terms of the changing social conditions. So uh, when you think about uh, when the ideas of, of ecological economics got a breakthrough is much related to um, not only the cognitive development, but really much more the changing social conditions. And uh, we get that uh, after the Second World War. Uh, and I think that we can think about it in terms of the three waves uh, of environmental interest so that uh, over time we can identify, it's a way of telling the story, you could say, it's a narrative. Uh, so you, you can say that we experienced three waves of environmental interest uh, after uh, the Second World War. Um, and uh, I think that uh, the first wave is really uh, from the late uh, the late 1960s to the, and the early 70s. Uh, here we really got uh, a breakthrough for uh, some of these ideas. Um, and this was related to various problems that uh, were increasingly experienced uh, in society. Already in, in the 50s, uh, the discussion on, on lack of resources were getting uh, some attention. Uh, but even more important, I think, in the 60s was the focus on pollution. Uh, so with Rachel Carson's book on the Silent Spring from 1962, there was this focus on pesticides. And also there were various uh, catastrophic events that called for attention to to pollution. Uh, and then the, the third issue was the population issue because there was a rapidly increasing human population and there was increasing discussion about uh, will there be enough food, for instance. There was this book by Paul Ehrlich called The Population Bomb from, from 1968. So several problems were getting increasing attention um, and uh, this also resulted in social movements. So the environmental movement emerged and this was particularly focused on, on pollution. Um, and uh, during this period, uh, ecology was becoming a very predominant word. So it became part of ordinary language. 
so you can say that the first wave of environmental interest, if you want to give it a name, it could be called ecology. Um, and uh, in this period, there was much focus on trying to get environmental regulation and to um, uh, discuss also increasingly whether there were limits to growth that also appeared uh, at that time. Um, and if you want to relate it to one of the intellectual developments at the time, this was also based on a systems perspective. So already just after the Second World War, there was increasing attention to focusing on, on systems. Um, and uh, uh, this was part, part of the background for the limits to growth work. So uh, I mean, the new social conditions were really the most important and they call for reactions from science. So when something happens in society, then science somehow has to react. Um, and um, uh, from an ecological economics perspective, it's interesting to look at both what happened in ecology and also what happened in economics. So if you look at ecology, you can say ecologists, they already had a systems perspective, uh, but they focused very much on nature without humans. So what happened here uh, was that they started to include humans in their reflections on ecosystems. So look at the interplay between humans and, and ecological systems. But this was still a, a minority position within ecology to do that. If you then look at uh, what did the economists do, you can say mainstream economists, uh, they revived the old idea about externalities, which really dates back to the 1920s, but at that time didn't have a lot of, of uh, interest, but now it could be taken up uh, and, and uh, revived. Um, and uh, if we look at some of the outsiders within economics, you can say a few economists, they started thinking about the economy in biophysical terms. But you have to be aware that this is a very small minority of economists uh, trying to do that. But you can say by the end of the 1960s, we really had a modern formulation of the core ideas of ecological economics. They were ready in two landmark publications from uh, 1971. Uh, one was from the systems ecology field uh, by H.T. Odom. It is called Environment, Power and Society. Uh, and the other uh, publication from economics was by Nicolas Ceausescu-Urgen uh, and it's called the entropy law and the economic process. So you can say that uh, the basic ideas of ecological economics in a modern formulation, they were, these ideas were really ready uh, by uh, the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, but uh, it took more than 15 years before the field was established. So at that time, it was really minority positions. Why do you think it took so long? Um from the, the ideas that emerged until the field was actually established? 
Well, I think that um, before the field really could be established, the social conditions changed again. Um, and other concerns came to dominate. So what we experienced in the 1970s were really, was really a kind of a backlash for some of these ideas uh, because um, uh, due to the oil crisis in, in the, the early 70s, uh, that was an economic crisis. It had many other reasons as well, but uh, we had a, an economic crisis in the 1970s. Um, and you can say, in a way, it's a, a paradox that um, the energy crisis in the 70s really emphasized how important the energy is. So this should really form the basis for a breakthrough of ecological economic ideas. But the focus then turned away uh, from this point and really turned to the economic crisis that sort of took over the agenda. So um, I think you can see it in that perspective that um, the agenda turned away. But I think that you can also say that during the next um, 15 years, there was also a diffusion of the ideas. So you can say the cognitive conditions for a breakthrough of ecological economics improved uh, over the, the, these years. Because first of all, for instance, energy studies became a prominent field uh, in the wake of the energy crisis. Um, and another uh, intellectual development was the increasing focus on system theory. Uh, Prigozhin had the Nobel Prize in 1977, and it was related to uh, a breakthrough of, of system theory. It was in, in chemistry. Um, and then a, a third uh, intellectual development that I think is quite important is that uh, problem-driven transdisciplinary research became popular at the time. Uh, so we had at the time much more funding for transdisciplinary research. Uh, so this also helped some of these communities to uh, strengthen uh, during this period. And then, of course, to actually establish a field, you need various people to meet and to have some meetings and so on. This is what I describe in, in this article of, of the early history of ecological economics. This is also uh, how did this process uh, go on, which people were, invo were involved in, and so on. I think so far we have been talking about the first wave that you mentioned and and um, um, how did the second wave then come about? Well, again, I, I will focus on the social conditions and say that they changed in, in the late 1980s. Uh, in this period, there was uh, much more focus on global environmental problems. For instance, uh, the ozone layer was a key problem at the time resulting in the Montreal Protocol uh, dealing with this issue in, in 1987. And uh, there was also, you, you can say the Brundtland Report in 1987 was also um, illustrating that global environmental problems were really uh, emerging on the agenda. Um, and this report popularized then the word of sustainability. 
So before that, we didn't talk so much about sustainability, but by the late 1980s, this became sort of the key word. So to give a name to the second wave, I would call it the, the sustainability wave. And because of this increasing focus on sustainability issues, global environmental problems, this was the time where um, you could establish new organizations in this field. So we had ecological economics established at this time, the International Society in 1988 and the journal the following year. Uh, and the first conference was in 1990. And uh, at the time, the interest was overwhelming. Uh, so uh, you can say the field was really carried by uh, this second wave. And if you look at then uh, what sort of people actually came into this field uh, at the time, it was really established as a transdisciplinary field where you had researchers from systems ecology, as I was saying, and also some people working on more general system theory. And then within economics, uh, we had a combination of people because there were both uh, economists um, uh, focusing on the biophysical uh, perspective, like Herman Daly, for instance, and Joan Martinez Allier, that I already mentioned earlier on. Um, and then also some more traditional neoclassical economists working with the environment. Uh, so, David Pierce, for instance, could be a, an example. So, um, Within uh, this first group, uh, there are both some socioeconomists focusing on institutions and power and so on, but also some neoclassical economists. So you can say uh, there is a tension within the field already from the beginning. And then a, a third group I'd like to mention uh, is people coming from energy studies. Uh, physicists and engineers, uh, they were also part of establishing the field in the beginning. So I think that um, when the field was established, you could say that uh, a number of supplementary ideas to the ones we have already talked about uh, can be identified here. Um, so we have talked about metabolism, social metabolism and energy, but I think uh, uh, I would like to highlight some important differences from mainstream economics uh, that became visible uh, in this period. I think that uh, first of all, you can say that all the people establishing this field, they, they agreed that basic life support of human societies uh, was threatened. Uh, so it was much more radical that, than the traditional focus on economics where you talk about the environment as resources, waste absorption, and amenities, the enjoyment from environment and so on. So when you talk about basic life support, it's much more radical because it's about are humans going to survive on, on the earth. And then the a second point uh, could be uh, basic ignorance. The idea that we don't know what we don't know. And this follows from system thinking uh, because 
in system thinking, there is this focus on care theory, on non-linearity, uh, so that uh, we, we can really not predict what's going to happen. So therefore, we should warn against too much trust in technology, too much trust in that we can understand systems well enough to make technologies that will save us. Uh, so I think that this is also central to, to uh, the field. And based on this, I think we have an ethical challenge. So this would be a third point that um, when we really have limits to growth, then we ought to share because we cannot rely on economic growth uh, to uh, solve all problems of poverty in the world. So therefore we, we have to share in, in this limited world. And I think here we have a contrast to mainstream economics because it's openly political. So when we have this ethical challenge, we are openly political and mainstream economists will often say that they are not political. Of course, this is misleading, but we are openly political. And then finally, I'd like to mention uh, the transdisciplinary call for pluralism. So the field has a focus on pluralism where you can use many different methods, you can have many different perspectives and, and so on. And it's also an openness in relation to other social sciences. So it's not only transdisciplinary in relation to the natural sciences, but also integration with sociology, psychology, philosophy, and, and so on. I think that's also characteristic of, of the field. I think the way you, you spoke about the first conference or um, the establishment of the field, you said um, something like the interest was overwhelming. Um, so, um, so you expect some kind of breakthrough when the interest is, is, is overwhelming. Um, so after, after this, this high interest, how, how did the, the research within the field develop? Well, there was really a rapid expansion in the field in the 90s uh, and several different research programs uh, developed. And of course, I cannot tell you about all that, but I think that the, the episodes you're going to have of this podcast, uh, you will cover many of these different research programs. Um, so I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll just mention a few examples of what I think was important in the early 90s. Uh, one was related to this idea of the economy as a metabolic organism. Uh, so uh, when you think about the human economy as a metabolic organism uh, that is limited by the, the biosphere, uh, then um, you would like to operationalize this idea. So you can try to measure the scale of the economy in biophysical terms. So you can consider how big is the economy in relation to the biosphere. And I think this was one of the key research programs where you got the ecological footprint, you got energy studies, material flow accounting, human appropriation of net primary production, and so on. So 
a lot of developments where you can say we developed a different language where we could calculate in nature instead of calculating in money. And this also made it possible to talk about, for instance, unequal exchange between nations, where you can have an equal exchange in monetary terms and below that an unequal exchange in biophysical terms, whether it's measured in energy or in um, material flows or, or whatever uh, measure you apply. So I think that uh, this was also related to a focus on environmental conflicts. So not only looking at externalities as in mainstream economics, where it's sort of an exception, but really a focus on environmental conflicts as a key topic related to, to power. Um, I think an, another uh, field that uh, was mainly based uh, from the ecological side was uh, the management of socio-ecological systems, uh, the development of the ecosystem services concept, discussion on how to manage uh, these systems, for instance, through commons and so on. Um, and I think this also had a macro perspective. Usually you think of these management issues as a sort of meso or micro perspective, but it also had a, had a, a macro aspect which relates to uh, uh, the resilience of the whole uh, earth system. So this was really what developed into uh, earth system science and uh, the focus on planetary boundaries and so on that we talk about today. So I think uh, some of these discussions, they were also central in the early days of ecological economics. Today, you would say earth system science is a separate field. Uh, uh, but a, a third topic I'd like to mention is uh, valuation and decision making. Um, and I think we have a central disagreement uh, with mainstream economics here because we, we discussed that decision-making should not rely on prices. There are many languages of valuation um, and uh, we need to bring these languages to the table. So you cannot just uh, use the prices and try to construct prices as it is done in cost-benefit analysis. Uh, so there was a lot of discussions, critique of cost-benefit analysis, and also development of alternative methods with multi-criteria valuation and, and deliberative methods and so on. Uh, so this point that valuation is always political is, is central to the field, I think. And well, in addition to that, many other topics uh, developed could be the growth discussion the role of energy and exergy in, in growth, um, trade issues, uh, consumption, which was my old field, my own field at the time, uh, well-being, ethics, and, and so on and so forth. So a, a large number of, of topics, really. In, in the 1990s, the interest uh, was high, but, but the breakthrough didn't really happen. Um, do you think the, this interest was slowed down a little bit after the first decade of salience? 
Yeah, I, I think you would say that the breakthrough happened, uh, but uh, but I would agree that the 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 growth of the field really slowed down after the first decade. Um, and I think, again, you can say there is a sort of a backlash where the social conditions changed by the end of the 1990s, the early 2000s. Uh, I mean, in, in many places, the immigration agenda, for instance, took over the political focus. So the political focus again turned away uh, from environmental issues. Um, but of course, I think when, when we talk about these waves of interest, it's important to notice that the wave does not completely turn back. It's now on a different level. So you can say the waves go up, <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you get some backlash. Um, and uh, so I think in uh, the social conditions changed again. And then I think some issues related to uh, the more cognitive developments within academia were also important. And also the social organization within academia. Because uh, for instance, if you take the ecologists, they didn't really need ecological economics so much anymore because transdisciplinary work was increasingly accepted within their original field. So you can say they had a sort of a breakthrough within their own field for transdisciplinary ideas. So in that sense, it was not so important for them anymore to have a field like ecological economics. And also uh, many complementary fields and subfields developed. So for instance, if you took an interest in a particular empirical issue, like marine resources or forests or whatever, then you could go to conferences and take part in uh, associations dealing with that uh, particular empirical issue. Um, and uh, finally, I think you could also mention that uh, a lot of other transdisciplinary fields developed at the same time or a little later than ecological economics. So it could be political ecology, industrial ecology, common property studies, uh, sustainability transition studies, uh, sustainable consumption had their own organizations and so on and so forth. So ecological economics really becomes one field among many transdisciplinary communities. And this makes it well, in, in a sense, more difficult, because in a way you compete for the time and attention of researchers. So in a way, it's a good development because many more interesting societies develop. Uh, but from the point of view of ecological economics, we, we get competition, you could say. You mentioned uh, uh, two waves already. And uh, uh, one, one, the first wave, uh, you said that the term ecology became important. In the second wave, the term sustainability became important. And you also mentioned the third wave. So um, what changed in social conditions during the third wave? And, and, and what, what is the term uh, that, um, that best describes this third wave? Well, 
I think I would call the third wave for the climate wave. Um, I think that the social conditions change again uh, in the late zeros. Um, you can say that um, uh, we had the uh, meeting uh, in relation to climate in Copenhagen in 2009. Uh, and it was just an extremely disappointing meeting where many people had expected that now we should do something about cli the climate issue. And then it turned out that it was basically a catastrophe, uh, that meeting in, in Copenhagen. Uh, and that created uh, social movements after that, where you really uh, felt that now we need to put more pressure behind um, the politicians because otherwise they, they do not deliver. So we got increasing social pressure leading to the Paris Agreement in, in 2015. So I think that uh, uh, this is really a third wave of, of environmental interest where climate is, is the main issue. Uh, and I think we are now in a period of, of growing interest in the basic ideas of ecological economics um, because it fits very well with this climate agenda. Uh, and also I think the ecological economic ideas, they have been popularized um, in this period. For instance, I think that Kate Rayworth uh, donut economics is very useful. It's basically about ecological economics and it's bringing it out uh, to many more people. Um, I also think that the degrowth community uh, you, you can say that they basically have ecological economics as sort of the economics of, of that, that community. So it's also popularizing the ideas. Uh, and within the field, I think we also get much more work on climate and, and also on biodiversity, which is a very central issue. Um, and then uh, Interestingly, we also have new research topics such as uh, ecological macroeconomics and uh, research on monetary systems. And this is really a result of the financial crisis because I think after the financial crisis, many of us realized that, well, maybe we have not taken enough interest in finance and uh, macroeconomic issues. Uh, and I think that is developing uh, very quickly in, in during these years. You said we could call uh, the third wave um, uh, the climate wave. And, uh, and when we think back to, to 2019, I think probably the word climate was, um, was something that everyone was talking about. And then in, in 2020, um, uh, the coronavirus came and, and to me, it seems that a lot of people have actually stopped thinking of, of, of the climate. So do you think there is a risk of, of a backlash, of a new backlash um, after this climate wave? Yeah, I think there's always a risk of a new backlash. Um, I think that in a way you can you can say there are two possibilities because uh, uh, Corona can also open opportunities. Uh, 
because there is so much discussion about how to restart the economy and there is this interest in a green restart. Uh, so we could use this opportunity to make investments in greening the economy. Uh, so in that sense, uh, you could see Corona as an opportunity, but I'm afraid that we also face uh, a risk of the opposite, because as you said, many people really want to get back to normal. And uh, can't we just get back to normal as quickly as possible? Um, and in, in a way, I think this um, situation is a paradox that is similar to the energy crisis. Because as I said, the energy crisis really should make you think in ecological economic terms. And you can say the same about the corona crisis, because corona illustrates that we cannot keep on um, treating nature the way we do. So this emphasizes the need for ecological economic ideas. I remember when I first heard about pandemics, it was an ecological economics conference several decades ago. Uh, and uh, emphasizing these uh, issues in relation to how systems work and how we uh, threaten nature and so on. So these ideas are, are basic to ecological economics. So we should really uh, say, well, now Corona has taught us the, the lesson. We need to think in terms of, of these basic ideas of ecological economics. But unfortunately, what happens is that you get an economic crisis after uh, the Corona issue, and then all attention is focused on the economic crisis and how to return to normal. So I am actually quite worried that uh, uh, it may not be used in, in the best way, this crisis. Then I think actually also um, a change in social conditions that is quite important these years is related to distributional issues. I think distributional issues, they are really uh, coming much more up on the agenda. Uh, and uh, I think they could perfectly well be uh, fitted with a sustainability transition because sustainability transitions have to rely on, on uh, greater justice, otherwise uh, we'll not succeed. So I would really like a fourth wave uh, with justice as, as the keyword for um, increasing environmental interest. But of course, I'm afraid that it might be a right-wing response that uh, will, will uh, become dominant. I don't know, of course, but uh, well, let's do as much as we can uh, to avoid it. And then, of course, there are many issues that I really don't know much about. For instance, the geopolitical challenges, uh, they also may take over the agenda in a way that is difficult to, to foresee. But if we look at uh, academia, I think that, uh, for instance, in, in relation to economics, uh, you can say that there is much more agreement today uh, about the seriousness of, of the environmental challenges. 
also among uh, mainstream economists. So in this situation, the, dif the situation is completely different from the 1970s, where mainstream economists, they expected we could solve everything. Uh, I think uh, many are really worried uh, today. So, so I think there is a, a different situation. But when it comes to um, solutions, uh, I think that uh, mainstream economics is still too focused on simple measures like the CO2 tax. And, and there is a lack of focus on uh, systems and the need for systemic changes and for active innovation and investment policies, for policies relating to justice issues like wealth and inheritance taxes. Uh, avoiding tax havens and so on. So there are many, many issues that uh, I think we need to, to focus on here. Thank you so much for guiding us um, through um, the history of ecological economics in such a clear and coherent uh, uh, way. Um, to close out today's episode, um, I would like to ask you the question that I ask all my guests. Um, what is your rebellion? Well, uh, I'm afraid that uh, I don't really consider myself a rebel. Uh, I'm not very much on the barricades. Uh, I may take part sometimes in peaceful demonstrations, but uh, um, I'm not really considering myself very rebellious. So I think it would make more sense to say that uh, I'm unconventional with regard to ideas. Uh, that would be a more proper label. Uh, so I think that I may have many opinions that uh, some people would disagree with. Uh, for instance, I would like to get away from private property of land, uh, which uh, I think will be the, the main scarce resource in, in uh, the coming years. Uh, and I would also, for instance, like a radical change in the teaching of, of economics which I have uh, written about in, in a recent paper uh, called uh, Econ 101 in need of a sustainability transition. So there you can, you can have a look at uh, some of these radical ideas. Thank you so much for uh, uh, sharing with us your uh, knowledge and your thoughts. Um, many thanks to Inge and thanks to all of you for spending time with us. Stay tuned with us for our next episode. Thank you, Inge. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. If you like the conversation and your work is related to ecological economics in any discipline, consider becoming a member of our society to stay connected. If you are ready to discuss the topic, join our Facebook group called European Society for Ecological Economics.